And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page, at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark, lots of retweets at... Uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Always a garden dialogue going on where you can find out, A, a clue to the garden grappler coming up at 11 o'clock, and B, more information about my guest today, Pam Bone, Sacramento County Master Gardener, the original Sacramento County Master Gardener coordinator, and uh, but she doesn't use the title urban forester anymore. Nope. Nope. You go a long ways back with me if you remember my urban forestry designation. So it <laughs> okay. shows you that you've been around a long time there, Fred. Thank you. Yes. yes. Haven't we? Uh, mm-hmm. and you were at Harvest Day yesterday. I yes, was at, I was. I was at Harvest Day yesterday. What were the people telling you? What were the, the people who were there? There was probably a couple thousand people there. There were. And um, I worked in the orchard answering questions, and I talked to just a lot of people around the center. First of all, people were in awe of everything at the horticulture center and since i was in the orchard most of the time people would come in and say oh wow this is fabulous this is gorgeous wow i've never seen anything like this oh your trees look great and then let me tell you the problem with my trees and yes. that they don't look anything like this or they're really having problems and so lots of people had questions just to, there were in the fruit tree area there were a lot of pruning questions how do I um, keep my trees small, and when do I prune, and how do I prune? And then probably number two was I have um, about five fruit all clustered on one limb, um, and people just don't thin. They mm-hmm. are afraid to thin, and they don't understand it. So I would take them around and show them how things were thinned. And then the number three was something's eating my fruit, and I'm never, ever getting anything um, so they had. There were some that we thought had possums. There were rats uh, because they had a variety of things, from yeah. citrus to uh, peaches to whatever, and birds. Oh, the the uh, scrub jays have been really bad this year in fruit. I think uh, when I lived in Harold, we had almond trees, and I don't think for the last four years I ever harvested an almond because the crows would swoop oh, in. Yes. And strip the tree in a matter of minutes and fly off, each with a nut in its beak. Oh, gosh. That's terrible. It's like they knew. They knew the exact time when to get in there. They always know when to get there when you can't possibly eat it because it's not quite ready. But I know the... um, the varmints, as we say, have really, really been busy. But what I was telling everyone, and something that we've really uh, started to practice in our own landscape, is keeping the trees shorter so that you can put bird netting on them. And then it'll also, it keeps the birds out really well. And if you, then we've got, use clothespins to clothespin them together and around the trunk and around the main scaffolds, and it'll keep the squirrels out too. So uh, it. It makes a huge difference. You have to secure that netting so yes. that nothing can crawl in underneath. That's right. That's including exa- birds. Yes, and clothespins work beautifully. Okay. Either the wooden or the plastic clothespins that you can buy, you know, at the dollar store or whatever. It works great. What are you securing it to to keep them from getting in from below? Well, then you you take the thing and you you drape it from the top down, mm-hmm. and then you 
kind of snug it together and you clip the things around the main scaffolds and wind it all around and then just clip it with a whole bunch of, uh, of clothespins and that's the way it works. It, it, it We've got two and you, usually it takes more than one net on a fairly substantial tree even though they're lower down uh, you and, and it takes two people to do it. My husband and myself or my husband and my kids are always recruited to go out there and put these this netting on and to take it off. It is a job. There's no doubt. But the peaches this year are phenomenal. And we wouldn't have had any because the, the thing is, is he sees them and then, oh, half the, the thing, they bird pecked or rodent teeth mark mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And then, oh, I've got to get the nets on. And, and then it stops it. So... Well, what are you doing, though, about um, that netting at the end of the season? Are you able to use it for the we've second re- year? We've reused it now for at least, I'd say, six to seven years. How, yep. do, how do you do that? Oh, believe me. <laughs> and my poor husband, I will give him credit. He's the one that has to take it off most of the time. Uh, we help him get get it off, but he carefully refolds every single one, takes all the uh, clothespins off, and um, it's then, nylon netting, though. It right? is, and and folds it. it it's kind of like one of those snake things yeah. that goes all over. It lays it out on the lawn. That's one good reason we still have a back lawn. And um, lays this stuff out, and then folds it back up and sticks it in a bag and holds onto it. And and we and has used it over and over again. Yeah, without any difficulties, without any problem. That is, that the maintenance Just part time. of the netting is the difficult part. It's that's the difficult part. Yeah, the difficult part is just putting it all back together again right. and and i was explaining to some um one yesterday at the horse center about netting and the fact that it takes two people to do the job to get it on properly and everything else and their face was just kind of like yours yeah. it's like oh, oh yeah what a lot of work but you know there is nothing worse than spending all that time mm-hmm. to spray your peach trees fertilize them, prune them, and take care of them, and then not get a fruit off of them, except for one that has giant bird pecks in it or rodent marks on it. So, And we'll still get a few of those. There's, You can't get every single one. but I subscribe to the Baldo theory. Oh, what's that? Well, Baldo, you know Baldo Villegas. Yes, I was All out right. at his orchard just okay, recently. Exactly. Picked a lot of his plums. Mm, he delicious. says, if, just grow enough for everybody. You know what, though? They're they're like your crows that come in. They they don't care. They don't have that philosophy. So these various varmints, um, they just steal everything, and they don't care about leaving you some. I don't mind. Okay, so coddling moth. Some years you say, oh, I can share a wormy apple. That's fine. Until they get to the point where it's so bad that all the all the fruit falls off, that yeah. there's nothing left on the tree because the coddling moth presence is so heavy. So, yes, I would coexist beautifully uh, with these, uh, and we do, but we have to outfox them somehow. And so if it takes a little effort, and my husband's willing to do it, most of it. Well, this takes us back to the original topic of conversation that you were having with the people at the uh at Hort, the Hort Center? At the Hort Center yeah, about summer pruning and keeping your tree short. Yes, exactly. And this is the exact time, July and August, for keeping the tree short, for pruning back that growth. And if you've managed a tree from its inception, it's easy to keep it at six or seven feet. Right. No, we still do winter pruning on 
all of we do winter pruning on all of our trees. I'm going to admit it right now. We did not have eutypa on apricots and cherries when we first started pruning our trees 36 years ago, and so they were all trained in the winter. And we have not and and our apricots are very large and they're more like a landscape. Why tree. must you be a contrarian? Right, but I do know, and I'm going to say this for Chuck Ingalls, who's our farm advisor, that definitely you prune apricots and cherries. The major pruning with the big cuts and everything, you do it in August. Now is the time. Right. This is it and so you want to do that and actually if we have to take any larger limbs or anything off we'll do that in august too but it's it is so hard when you're used to pruning a certain way and all the leaves are on the tree and it's hard to see the structure of the tree so what we'll do with the other trees is that to keep them low my husband will go out and trim off like you said all that really rank tall growth Mm -hmm. that's just growing Trim it back, but the major structural pruning on the rest of our trees, our apples and our plums and peaches, that's all done in January. And because you can more easily see, see the, yes. the crossing branches, rubbing branches, and those internal branches that may be blocking sunlight. Exactly. To see that if you're opening yeah. it up, it's very difficult to see. But if you're going, if you've got apricots or cherries, and particularly if you're going to make larger cuts, definitely you'd want to do all of that pruning now. Right, and right. It, 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 it say if you if you start with a new tree, if you go out and right. plant a bare root fruit tree in January, it's so darn easy to keep it at the height you want by just going out there a couple of times, uh, once in the spring, usually when you thin the fruit, and then when you pick the fruit in in the summertime, take your clippers out there too and just prune back that right. tree to a height that is no more than you can reach. And the only thing is though, because people did ask this question quite a bit that then sometimes people feel they don't have to do any pruning in the winter months and the structural pruning is ignored and all of a sudden I'm trying to show them the major scaffolds and one man was telling me his tree he was describing what sounded like a two-year-old tree and the tree was already six to seven years old and it had weak flimsy little branches all he was doing was giving it a haircut on the top and he had done nothing to develop the major scaffold limbs and that oftentimes is when like you were saying you can see it in the winter when you can see it in the winter time you can see especially broken branches, rubbing branches, thinning branches, and we have to take a break, but it, we, we should also talk about something that people are very reluctant to do in the springtime, and they're paying the price for it now, thinning the fruit. And I got a lot of questions at Harvest Day about right, that. We'll talk about that, and we'll tackle your phone questions as well, 576-1578 in the 916, or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Brooks, are you running the board today? He's here, so we're in good hands. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With my guest, Sacramento County Master Gardener Pam Bone. Let's go to the phones, 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Where are we going? We're going to stay here in Sacramento. Talk with Edie. Hi, Edie. Good morning, Fred and Pam. Hi. I have a Meyer Lemon that thinks it's a fat giant, and I don't want a fat giant. I want a trim nice little, not little, but uh, reasonable lemon tree. Is it all right to prune it now? What kind of lemon did you say it was? It's a Meyer. It's a Meyer lemon. Are you going to do just some light trimming of it? And well, you're not going to open it to a lot of sunburn or anything like that? Or Oh, no, no, no. No, it, no, it is so broad now that it just needs to be uh, 
got into shape, I would say maybe oh, a foot off. Oh, maybe, that's... Maybe two. The, yeah. the, okay, the only thing I'm going to mention is that, have you had a problem with leaf miner? That's Never. The, it's just perfect. Okay, well, good. The reason is is that we've had this little insect that causes little tunnels inside the leaves and leaves these little whitish kind of grayish tunnels everywhere, and some people have had real problem with them. And what happens when you prune, then it produces a new flush of growth, and that's what they attack is the new growth. Oh. And that's why this time of the year is when they're really active, and we've not been recommending pruning or fertilizing at this time of the year because you push out this new growth that these leaf miners just love and we've been getting so many calls at the cooperative extension master gardener phones isn't the problem mostly mental it because the leaf miner itself it does make unsightly tunnels in the leaves but does it do actual damage to the tree it depends some of the photos that have come in to the office or the samples they it it's pretty devastating for some others it's superficial doesn't look bad at no. all others the whole tree is just looks like it's half dead on top because the new growth is so infested but that's not real typical yeah. so if you wanted to do a little bit of pruning on it and you haven't had the leaf miner problem, then I would say that would be fine. The only what time you, you I, look, you look for um, holes in the leaves. Is that what you're? They, no, you look tunnels. for little little tunnels. They um, actually, you when people describe it to me, it it comes in a m multitude of descriptions. The tree looks white on top. Um, oh, the tree yeah. looks like it's bleached. The and then you look up more closely, and you see these kind of squiggly grayish whitish lines throughout the. Um, the leaf. leaf. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's below the surface of the leaf, but you can see them on the top of the leaf. This is not to be confused with the white squiggly lines of the Asian citrus psyllid, which in its nymph stage has these waxy white tublets that it puts out on but the new growth. But they stick out. But they stick yeah. out, right. Right. So, so this, one, this one looks uh, just fine. Okay. I will look more closely, but it's, it's had uh, a lot of growth within the last, oh, few weeks, I would say. And it's just... Um, it's out of shape and it needs to be shaped and and uh, I would do it soon I would do it soon because of, of any restrictions on pruning that I've heard from citrus growers they say do not do it on the cusp of frost season because right. new growth could easily die back but if you did it now and we usually don't get a frost till around Thanksgiving or so uh, yeah. it, that new growth could have could harden off but i wouldn't i wouldn't do any pruning to it say in from late september through no february and, and that will do it pretty soon yeah and that goes with people pushing with a lot of fertilizer late in the season too if it's too late in the season and you get yeah. a lot of new growth but but right now you're right about one thing the tree is naturally producing nice succulent growth right now and if you want to just go out and trim some of that off and you don't have a leaf miner problem i don't see a problem with that at all okay now can i ask you one more question sure off off trees. I was going to say no, but go no. ahead. All right, okay, now go ahead, Edie. I'm accommodating. I think it's brief. I want to prune my roses. They are usually very abundant in blooms, and they're not right now. And I want to fertilize them, but I don't think you're supposed to do it when it's hot. Is that correct? 
Well, you can definitely prune your roses, especially if you're going out. Now, you're not pruning. You're not talking about the winter-type pruning. You're talking oh, about no, deadheading. Oh, no, no. It's not pruning. I'm the deadheading. It's fertilizing. Yeah, and the deadheading is fine because obviously you're not going to promote yeah. new roses unless you go out and get rid of those no, dead things. No, that's all we do, but we're getting hardly any blooms right, right. Now. Well, that's because it's 100 degrees out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I wondered. Is it the heat that's doing it to them? Yeah, even Baldo's complaining about the lack of blooms on his 3,000 rose bushes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it okay. and, and and this time of the year when you've had well, are we going to hit a record today? I think it's today, forty days in a row over ninety. It's the first oh, time this has yeah. ever happened. Yeah. So uh, it's been really harsh and hard on a lot of things. I don't fertilize this late in the summer with um, my roses at all. Um, I typically don't think that that's what always the problem is is that it's a lack of fertilizer and nutrients and i'd rather wait uh to maybe adjust irrigation wait for the heat wave to pass that, okay yeah okay ask 100 right. rosarians you get 100 answers the other thing is though if you were if you haven't fertilized at all all season and you thought well it does need a little bit of nitrogen fertilizer to push a little bit of growth yeah. then put it on don't put on full strength fertilizer then put on something a little bit milder put something on at half strength and that way you're not uh stressing an already stressed plant usually we don't recommend fertilizers that are already under stress it takes a lot of energy for that tree then or shrub or whatever it is yeah. bush to have to put out that uh, new growth and it might be at the expense of the tr uh, the shrub the bush the rose whatever already trying to just survive however so. deadheading it is a good yes. idea because Perfect. that will instill it to bloom again in about six or seven weeks well we do we do deadhead them regularly um, but they uh, they just have not produced new blooms, which they normally do. Oh, blame it on the weather. Okay, wait for a while. There you go. Fertilizer. Okay, Thank thanks, you. Edie. All right, bye-bye. Okay, Bye. email question from Gail and Gail, who says, we bought a young apple tree, four young apple uh -huh. trees. Um, they got sunburned at the base. One tree died and is now sending up sprouts. Will they grow to be a productive apple tree, or uh -huh. should we replace it? There's the word. Will they grow? I was going to say yes. Oh, yeah. Productive apple tree? No. Well, not, no. Not necessarily. And it may be a variety that you don't even want because they're all grafted. And what are they grafted to? Mazard. And it it's not an apple. It, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. You don't want that, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, just replace the tree. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, the next time then, make sure that you face the graft union away from the sun and you whitewash. Get an <clears throat> interior latex paint and dilute it 50-50 with water and paint it on thick all the way up and down, clear up until the first branch. Well, sometimes the sticks don't have branches, but if there is a branch, even up to those first branches, and make sure that uh, you keep that uh, protected for at least until you the first season until you get some nice shaded growth of the uh, limbs themselves. Very good. You just answered her second question. All right. About whitewashing. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. good. Right. Perfect. Good job. All right. Uh, let's talk about one of your favorite topics, berries, cane <sighs> berries. And there's a lot of great berries out there. You talked earlier about your um, travails with your raspberries and the watering system that was inadequate for them. Right, what, and then all are, kinds of other problems with them this year. What varieties have been most successful for you in your yard when it comes to blackberries, raspberries, boysenberries? Okay, so I my, my favorite raspberry of all time that is um, 
If you can find them, there's two varieties. It's Heritage and Oregon 1030. They are fabulous varieties that are really adapted to our heat, usually adapted to our heat when we don't have a drought and we get normal winter rains. And um, it's been a, an issue for the last few years, but they're, they're recovering, except for then they got hit badly with spider mites this year and everything else. Um, what do you think of the thornless blackberry? Okay, so in the past, I have grown all everything. I've grown Olala berry and boysenberry, um, nectar berry, um, uh, did I say loganberry? Mm -hmm. I have currants, but I don't have the, uh, I have flowering currants, mm -hmm. mostly uh, just decorative things. Um, but um, I found that the, we had thornless boysenberries that we grew, and they didn't produce as well. They weren't as a productive of plant. The fruit wasn't as good. But I've been hearing from the uh, master gardeners at the Ferox Horticulture Center that some of their thornless blackberries have been fabulous, and they've given me a few to try. So I'm going to let you know. Um, Arapaho and black satin thornless ones are ones that they say have done very, very well and um, that taste good. So that's the important thing. And then I think they've planted thornless boysen out there as well. And uh, that would be a boysenberry. And that would be a boysenberry, but it's thornless. And then there are some other varieties, and I'm not too sure if they've put them in, though. There's a Waldo and a Loch Ness, but I know the Arapaho and the Black Satin uh, looked real good. Oh, actually, Baldo. Speaking of Baldo, he should call in. You know why? Because he has more berries than anybody should ever have and i said to him he's nuts it's incredible but then he he said the same thing i was eating until i was stuffed with berries and he just said i said how can you possibly eat all these and what can you do with all this oh well you know if i don't get them all and the turkeys get some yeah, and yeah, yeah you know yeah. no big deal yeah it's something like 40 berry plants but he had every known variety of berry that i i'd never even heard of and i know he had i'm pretty sure he had the black satin can't remember if he had loch ness or waldo and then um there's the thorny ones which usually in the past have been the more uh, uh the better producers and uh, there's the olali Mm -hmm. uh, berry, and I've grown those. They're they're really good. Uh, Marion berry is one that if you're from Oregon, everybody wants Marion berry, but it does not do as well here. It's tough. It's really hot. Now somebody will probably call and say that they do just fine with it. Just like I tell people, raspberries do fabulous here, and others will say can't grow them at all. But now um, a lolly and the Marion berry are both blackberries. Uh, they're both type of blackberries. Okay. Yes, yeah. they are. Right. Just like the nectar berry that I grow, which some people call. The nectarberry and the boysenberry, oh, they've got a kind of a mixed history here. Boysenberry was the original cross, and then nectarberry kind of showed up, and I've been trying to do a search on it, and we can't, I can't tell if it's a distinctly different variety, but we're pretending it is. Now, you mentioned Oregon 1030 when you were talking about blackberries. Uh, Isn't yes. that a raspberry? That's a raspberry. No, I mentioned the raspberries first, um, and I should have been more clear, the ever-bearing raspberries. And... Um, so way back when they first came out, and they were really popular back in the 80s, we had the Baba Berry, mm -hmm. and I think it's still available. And then there was the um, Oregon 1030 and the Heritage. Those were the, the hot ones. And I planted the Oregon 1030 and the Heritage, and they've done amazingly well. The Baba Berry kind of wasn't available as much at that time. There are other uh, ever bears as well that are real popular and i know people have planted um fall gold and um indian summer 
but I have not. And the fall gold is because it's the golden one. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't grown that. Now, the everbears do so well in our area that I have never even tried growing the summer bears, the ones that are your traditional raspberries. You know why the everbears I like so well is because you can, um, in January, take your your loppers, basically, and cut them back practically to the ground. Not mm-hmm. quite. I mean, you, you want to leave some buds so that you can get new canes that develop. And so maybe six inches tall. You just go whap, 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 and there you've got just a bunch of little sticks sticking up everywhere, and that's it. So you're uh, not maintaining one-year-old wood. You don't have to maintain one-year-old wood, which yeah. you have to do with the summer bears, like the Canby and the Latham and the Meeker the, and the Willamette. These are all the old-fashioned mm-hmm. ones that have been out there for years. Um, that's why they talk about after harvest on some of these varieties, put a dab of paint on that stem. So you'll so know. You know which one to remove. Exactly. Yeah. No doubt. We need to take a break. When we come back, more berry talk with Pam Bone as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Pam Bone, Sacramento County Master Gardener. We're talking cane berries like blackberries and raspberries. Uh, Sacramento County has a, uh, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a great publication called Growing Cane Berries in the Sacramento Region. I mean, actually, it's a University of California publication that i think was produced uh, here in sacramento county and they have a lot of great caneberry variety recommendations for our area we've been talking about blackberries and raspberries i never heard of a black raspberry and they recommend the munger black raspberry what's the point of a black raspberry (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm not familiar with the munger at all so i can't even speak to it at all yeah it just seems like why not just have a blackberry then yeah no if if you're going to have a raspberry, it has to be red. Mm. Well, actually, there's a gold raspberry, too, though. And those are really highly prized. Um, so the golden one um, called Anne and Fall... Well, the Fall Gold, it's golden, too. So, But another one called Anne. So let me tell you about berries, though. You've got all these wonderful varieties, and you want to um, plant them. But make sure that you have adequate irrigation systems um, we really are finding uh, some difficulties with our raspberries for the first time ever when we replaced our drip irrigation system and put in uh, different type of drip irrigation lines that didn't spread as much and didn't put down as much uh, water. And I think they were perpetually at a deficit. And now we've, uh, my husband added just actually within the last couple of days, added a couple additional lines. And now I'm going to adjust the clocks. I'm going to make sure that I run longer, make sure that I compensate for a whole different system. So when you change out an irrigation system that you've had for years, or you, some people mix and match heads, they mix and match um, oh, drip emitters, and sprayers. Yeah. yeah, or anything, you, you will learn that, ah, oh, maybe that's the reason the plants aren't doing like they used to do because I've changed something and now the water distribution's different or it's not on 
uh, it's not giving you the uh, the depth that you had before, or just whatever. Well, I wonder if a sprayer, a mini sprayer, would be more effective than a drip emitter when it comes to caneberries. We actually talked about that. My husband and I did because we've got micro sprayers um, around most of our landscape. The only thing that um, we worried about was that it would hit all the lower leaves and it would not... Um, spray uniformly it would hit it and just start dripping off so we decided just to increase adding the in we we're using now the inline emitters mm -hmm. the pressure compensating inline emitters and then just adding additional like they do at the Hort Center where they've really got um, what four lines per just a, a box of four in, foot in box? raised beds but the in raised beds but the berries aren't in raised beds there. ours are in slightly our our raspberries well, they started in raised beds. Over the years, it's kind of gone down, but they're in um, small six-inch raised beds. And just how much sun are they up. getting? Well, that's the other thing. You have to have enough sun that they uh, will produce and do well, but we were worried that they were going to have too much sun this year, and that's reason that they were looking kind of poorly. So we actually put shade cloth on them, and that was a big mistake because they've not had shade cloth in 30 years since uh and they've done pretty well. But remember, we drought stressed them, and I, I think we're just putting the whole picture together. We got the worst case of spider mites. I've never had spider mites in raspberries ever. And it looks like the whole uh, bed was starting to die. And then earlier this season, berries are dying. And we're going, oh. So I went to the state lab and took the berry, the entire berry plant down and found out I had a weird kind of phytophthora called citricola. Oh, citricola, had, yeah. Yeah, phytop, not phytophthora yeah. cinnamomy, which is the yeah. one everybody has. No, one called phytophthora citricola that's found on avocados and walnuts and other things like that. And it's, again, due to poor drainage or excess moisture. Well, that was earlier this year. We had that wet winter. We have, we have heavy soils. So even raspberries can get um, wet feet in the winter and, um, and have a problem. So then we've got the shade cloth on. We're, we're, it's a west exposure of the house. It's a southwest exposure with a, a magnolia tree shading some of it and a fence shading some of it. So that'll give you a clue to how much sun. That's still a lot of sun, yeah, quite a bit. But so with a maybe little four hours of direct sun. Oh no, more than that. Probably okay. at least six hours right. um, plus. And and so then, not full sun, but not full shade. No, no, it's blazing sun during part of the day. Yeah. It's just that sometimes it gets a little shaded during late in the day. Right. Um, in fact, it probably has more than six hours. Um, and the boy, the nectar berries, they, they have pretty much almost full sun. They probably have eight hours of sun a day, at least, if not more. But the raspberries then broke out in this horrible spider mite problem that I thought was the phytophthora coming back. And I thought, I know we're not overwatering. I take my soil tube out. I'm checking everything. And um, I know it's a heavy soil, but you have to have moisture there that's always there in order for it to, uh, uh, to activate the phytophthora. So I start looking more closely, and I see webbing, and then I get my hand lens out, and there are spider mites. Horrible, devastating. I mean, it looked like, like a blast of um, hot air had gone through and just crisped everything. So again, my husband, who's my gardener, by the way, if you haven't guessed, um, he goes out and we, I read everything about it. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And we sprayed all the leaves 
and then we took out all the old um, fruiting canes that had fruited that aren't going to bear for the uh, winter crop or the fall crop, I should say, and then picked up all the debris, and now we're working on, it's been too hot to use a, an oil spray, so I'm waiting to see if the beneficials will move in, and if just by hosing them off, uh, which is one of the recommendations, is that you can get under the leaves and, and literally blast them off, and then uh, periodically keep them fresh by hosing them off we're going to see if that works and we took the shade cloth off because what i found out is i think what happened is they got stressed because the irrigation was inadequate and then the shade cloth just made this nice little incubator in there with no air circulation which we've always had before and we've also done overhead irrigation after we harvest where we use a wave sprinkler or something just to freshen it up and wave back and forth to kind of augment it. And, and during the drought, we weren't doing that. But we thought, well, we'll start that back up again this year. But with the shade cloth on it, it wasn't getting the full effect of washing off those leaves. And mites love dusty leaves. And where the worst part of it was is next to the borders where I have all my mulch down. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's just drier and dustier there. And the mites went crazy. Did you try any oils? That was what, so we're at the oil stage, but it's been too hot. Yeah. We've had all these 90 degree days for 40 days in a row. Um, the mite problem just showed up about uh, two weeks ago. So it's been really hot and it's been too hot to put oils on. I'm and, afraid of Or sulfur for that matter. It's hot, yes, too hot for sulfur. Sulfur, the same thing. Yeah. And we have a really good leaflet on talking about spider mites and control and what to do. One, uh, um, the UC Cooperative Extension has a really good leaflet, I should say. And, um, on spider mites and so i was looking at and trying the various methods but um oil sprays would be the way to go um next uh yeah when you find a nice when there's a cool time day. yeah though it did cool off this morning yeah. so if i was at home maybe i could be spraying with oil how many hours of cool do you well, have well that's have? just it the, today i was thinking as long as it's um on there till at least noon and and kind of cool and in the 80s and it's not going to get beyond that till late late in the day i thought i'd be safe i used it on my we used oil sprays earlier in the season for the red berry mite on our nectar berries and did it um in the june in june or late may when we had some of that hot weather but it was still cool all morning long and but it still did get up uh, later in the day yeah. till the upper 80s into the 90s and we were fine not a problem at all if you're wondering, it's 73 now in Sacramento, but See? The, the high expected will be 93. Right, but the thing is, is this probably would have been fine. And yeah. if we're going to have a couple days of this, I think I'm going to go out and put on the um, the spray oil. All right, so while Pam is filling up her sprayer, we'll take yes. a break. We'll get back to your questions as we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Pam Bone, Sacramento County Master Gardener, expert berry grower. We're talking berries, and Roberta in Garden Valley is on the line. And Roberta, I think you have a question that I also had for Pam, but I'll let you ask it. Oh, yes. Um, you know, with you folks talking about berries, I'm just, I think I need to put a bib bomb on just salivating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, 
Like you, Fred, I'm on large acreage, but um, due to my age and disabilities, I'm going to have to downsize and move. And uh, so I really don't want to put anything into the ground that I can't take with me. There you so go. Good thinking. You're thinking ahead of time. Yes. Yes. Can I containerize a berry plant and then take it with me? Are huh? you talking about an existing berry plant that's in the ground? No, one I haven't bought yet. Okay. All right. And what do you want? Do you want to plant a type of blackberry or do you want a raspberry? Oh, I'm thinking more blackberry. I love blackberry cobbler. Oh, okay. Yes, you can actually do that. Some of the um, trailing varieties uh, would probably work, except for they're going to kind of sprawl all over the place. The erect well, varieties are really strong, sturdy stems, and you might have to erect a trellis inside the container yeah. at some point. Yeah, I grew an yeah, Arapaho a few years that's, ago. That's what I was thinking of, of yeah. a trellis, something yeah. like a, a rose. Yes, exactly. And if you were willing to do that, because even with the trailing ones, you like to tie them up and have them to something. Um, a woman actually called the office just a couple weeks ago, had um, quite a few berries, and she'd had problems with them. And it wasn't until we kind of got halfway through the conversation that I realized that she was growing them in half uh, oak barrels. And then um, come to find out the problem that she was having is that they'd been in for so long that her irrigation was no longer adequate and it was all just kind of running out the sides and her plants weren't getting moist enough. But yes, yeah, she was quite successful. I've seen people growing berries in containers, large enough containers. And again, I would go with the the oak barrels, at well, least. Well, if you're going to move them, though. That's the problem. Yeah. They're too heavy. So I would go with maybe something a little larger than a 15. Yeah. But So something that's maybe 18 to 24 inches across and maybe two feet tall. Yeah, the, the, right. The thing is, is that um, the more root system that you have, the better... Um, production you're going to have at, with the berries and then you're going to get some new shoots that come up and you're going to regenerate uh, new ones so you need a little room there so too small a container unfortunately might restrict how much um, growth and berries you're going to get but well, if you're just going to take them with you then someplace not too distant future put them in a smaller container and then when you get wherever you're going you know, berries will last. We've had our berries in since the 80s, and um, so they can last forever practically. And you can take it with you and then plant it into a larger container when you move to the new location. Yes, um, I, I expect the new location will be a rather permanent um, right. location for me. Right. So, and um, uh, what size container would you suggest? To begin with and to end with. Well, I kind of like what Fred just said. At least a at least fifteen gallon size. Yeah, fifteen gallon okay. is roughly eighteen to twenty four inches across and about eighteen to twenty four inches tall. Okay, and I can always hire some strong backs. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want, and they they would be more willing to pick up a container of that size rather than than a, a, than a th barrel than a barrel. Yeah. That's true. Those okay. things are yeah. very heavy. Roberta, yes, thanks for the are. call. Appreciate it. Right, right. wishes. Yeah, good job. All right. Yeah, yeah that's smart thinking. I mean, that's uh, kind of what I did when we moved to Harold. I, I did a lot of prep. I took cuttings of plants mm -hmm. that I wanted to take with me and started them in, in ones and brought them over to the new place. And then after a couple of seasons, you know, a few months, mm -hmm. moved them up to fives. And, and now, then moved 
transplanted or actually transported the five gallon then uh actually i moved them over because i was in a rush yeah <laughs> moving so i started them in ones oh, and okay. then when we moved to Folsom, then moved them then put them into fives into fives and from fives for the most part they're going to be going into the ground yeah yeah that makes sense that's good so yeah it's um it's amazing how many plants you can take from cuttings oh cuttings oh yeah. yes definitely though there's it's amazing how many things that people want to take cuttings of and don't realize that they're grafted varieties right. or that, that they don't come true to type so you have to kind of know what it is that you're trying to do there yeah. so but oh the berries for instance that's why i told her if you've got enough uh, you get one plant, and you're going to start getting others that'll come off of it. Well, that's why some people don't like berries because they can get out of hand and get aggressive and go out into the rows. Mm-hmm. But are you, you going to talk about pegging? Um, we peg ours with little itty little stakes or little pieces of wood or mm-hmm. whatever to kind of hold them into the row. Is that what you meant? Well, that and oh, then to hold it, them down to, to, to start root. new one to yeah, root. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, a piece of wood or anything that uh, or one of those. Um, metal little hook things mm-hmm. that what are you big metal bobby pin yeah bobby pin that's yeah. it a metal bobby pin yeah. that's kind of it yeah actually my husband just uh did that yesterday but he's been work i was at the horse center all day he was working in the garden doing irrigation pegging berries <laughs> you know so anyhow and, nice to have a gardener at home and basically what happens is when you when you peg a, a stem a trailing variety of blackberry for example and it has contact with the ground it'll form roots and then after a certain amount of time you can cut it off and dig mm-hmm. it up, and voila, you've got a new plant. And actually, most years, not this year, um, but most years, uh, we've done that. We've actually taken any of the little, quote, suckers that come up on their own or ones that we've sort of uh, pegged into the ground and cut them up and sold them at Harvest Day uh, with the grapes. And so a lot of nectar berries, because nectar berries were hard to find in the nursery. So Yeah, Um That'd be something we can talk about without naming varieties when we come back. Oops, I almost gave away what the garden grappler is going to be. The garden grappler is coming up in a few minutes. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com and probably out of my mouth as well. But that's okay. When we come back from the news, it'll be garden grappler time. Uh, Clue available at FarmerFred.com. There's a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And uh, I, I think you'll be able to figure this one out because we've been talking about it so if if your memory is okay not a problem so we'll do the garden grappler when we come back to kick off hour number two of get growing uh pam bone uc master gardener is here from sacramento county as we continue on this august the 6th with get growing on talk 650 kste We're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you are up on your caneberry knowledge. Pam Bone is here. We've been talking about growing caneberries. And by caneberries, we're talking primarily blackberries and raspberries. Pam, can you think of any other varietals uh, of the other categories of berries of... of uh, uh, well, those aren't cane berries. Then are you just talking? I'm just talking cane berries. So the the no, two major the, the cane berries are pretty much I call currants and huckleberries and which we don't really grow here and all of those more shrubs. Um, they're not cane berries. Okay, so the they cane berries are cane berries are only going to be the raspberries and the blackberries. Okay. Basically, all right, that's it. So basically, yeah. name a blackberry or a raspberry variety. 
that uh, should we say that does that's recommended for Sacramento? No. no. So even if it no. grows only you know in Chicago or no, I don't know. Well, Hopefully not. Well, the reason is, is there are varieties that do much better here, and so you'll get some kudos if you can name some that actually do grow well here. Um, the clue that's available at FarmerFred.com will take you to that exact list. Well, the reason is, is a woman, I, I've had a lot of berry calls this summer, and when another woman called in and was discussing her berries and how they were not doing well at all, and I've come to find out she ordered a mail order, mm. and they were not a variety that we would recommend for this okay. area. Kind of like what people do with blueberries, and they want to grow something that's not a southern high bush or an, as something that grows up in Oregon beautifully but won't grow here very well. So. Don't tell Baldo that. So, no, oh, no, I've seen Baldo has a lot of blueberries too. Yeah, northern high bush blueberries. Yes, he does. Yeah. Anyway. With the, with the caneberries, name a blackberry or a raspberry variety. Have a backup answer, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five. The number's to call in, 916-576-1578, 576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Eight two five five. Name a variety of a caneberry. Pam will be the judge, and as you know, she's judgmental. So, <laughs> ha ha ha! No, I'm not. Well, I'm going to. Say, I I am not judgmental at all. I will be a good judge. I do want to say one thing. Okay, so I went to the Faroaks, um, to the Master Gardener page, and under the Faroaks Horticulture Center, then you can click on a thing called berries, and under there, they talk about their berries. Now, they don't actually list varieties in this particular area, but they discuss, and I'm not sure when this was written, but they discuss some of the things that they've done for their berries, and one of the things that they do say is raspberries prefer afternoon shade, and I would say that that's what my berries get from the fence and the tree they mostly get after a lot of them get afternoon shade um but have all morning sun and well i would say late afternoon shade but one of the things they recommend then is summer shade can be created by putting shade cloth on and putting it on and removing the fall well i already gave you my debacle with shade cloth and that is that this is the first time we've ever used shade cloth like i said in 35 years of growing non-stop raspberries successfully harvesting huge quantities i put them up and make jam for, as you know you've been a recipient in the past i forgot yes, to bring it's some very, it's very good i forgot to bring some today but um freezer jam it's just addicting it's so good um so i I get really large crops. I've done very successful without using shade cloth. But this year, because we were having some difficulties, and it appeared as if it was getting sunburned badly, which it was, but it was probably because of the irrigation system, now that I think about it, and the fact that how many years do we get 90 degree days constantly over 90 and how many years do we get june weather where it's over a hundred for what eight or nine days in a row so i think it was an exceptional year and i think that the shade cloth personally did help us in june get us through some of those difficult times but by leaving it on like that i believe that's why we got such a horrible spider mite problem and it really caused uh, even worse problems. So we took it off. And hopefully next year with improvements to our irrigation system and maybe not the weather being quite so intense there. Um, th- so 
I'm not saying for sure that shade cloth was involved. I'm just saying that for 35 years, we did quite well without shade cloth. And then this year, um, when we tried using it, but maybe it was a factor of drought and winter rains causing my phytophthora. By the way, we also had arboreal camel crickets this year in my um, <laughs> raspberries. Yes, arboreal Boreal camel crickets. crickets. Can you believe it? I've never seen those in my life. Another master gardener, um, Elizabeth Wise, sent me an email. And um, Elizabeth grows raspberries as well. And uh, she sent me this and said, Pam, look at what my berries look like. And they look like a hurricane had gone through them. They were shredded, just chewed all up. And here, I think this creature might be doing it. And I said, oh, I've never, ever seen that thing before in my life. Oh, there's nothing wrong with mine until I go out there. And I go, oh, my gosh, there's something chewing up. They've got the same holes and shreddiness that Elizabeth has. And I said, I, I'm going out on flashlight patrol. So I went out on flashlight patrol, and there they were, arboreal. I, we identified them. And with Elizabeth's help, my help, looking on the Internet, Sonoma County had found them some years ago, um, these arbo- arboreal camel crickets. And they were just chewing up the leaves. At the same time, I had two other nighttime pests. One were earwigs up on top of the raspberries, just chewing away. And um, there was another pest up there, too, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, anyhow. So what do you do for crickets? I w- I, you know what? I captured them. I went out every night with a flashlight, and I just collected them. And, and then they disappeared. They were gone. So, yeah. And do you know that, by, that, that uh, Elizabeth started it? I'll blame her. No, um, she identified. But then I actually got two more calls at the office with people with the exact same thing, told them to go out and uh, look it up. Uh, look, I always tell people, flash. if you're not sure what's going on, flashlight patrol. Uh, someone just came to the Hort Center and thought that they had uh, rats, I think it was. And I said, oh, no, I think what you have is um, you've got, uh, what was it, uh, possums, possums. Because this year, we thought, oh, we had something else going on, too. And it was actually possums that were causing all of the problems. It, and you have to go out at night and look for these things and then find out uh, what it is that you have. So, Another uh, nice way to tell what the problem is, especially if it's a chewing issue of something chewing fruit is to lay down some flour that the white powder from your kitchen at the base of the plant in the evening and then go back in the morning and see what sort of footprints might be in that flour Uh and and that can sometimes uh, lead you on the road of discovery as as far as uh, who might that uh, troublemaker be that's true well so there's a lot going on at night out in the landscape in the garden that you just don't even realize and it may be an arboreal camel cricket or an earwig or a possum out there. Um, I have to tell a funny story about my daughter. She uh, picked up some grapes about three years ago from the Ferox Horticulture Center and planted them. And they bore absolutely phenomenally this year. It was the diamond muscat. Yeah, it's a favorite. Oh, yeah. it's so delicious. Anyhow, it, it's up on an arbor. She goes out there. When the grapes aren't even ripe, of course, mm-hmm. and what's up on top of her arbor eating it? Radis, radis. 
a possum. Oh, a possum. Clear up there. She gets her broom and starts stabbing the broom at the possum, and it just sits there munching away. Yeah. And every day she said, there's carnage at the bottom. And so then we went and we put cardboard around the post so they couldn't climb and try to do everything. And then finally, luckily, they got ripe enough that she harvested it. But, oh, my gosh, they got a lot of the... They got a lot of her grapes. And again, it's so frustrating because what can you do? It's really difficult. I know what I did. I know what you, I'm not going to say. Yeah, but that's true. Did you? I lived in the country. Did you trap them or did you? No, I shot, I shot them. I was going to say, I figured that's probably what you yes. did. No. Yes. And we do have a really good um, UC handout on opossums um, that do give you various techniques and methods. You lived in an area where you could legally yes. shoot them, though. Yes. And name one socially redeeming value of an opossum. They really, when they're little, they're sure cute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so socially Well, the reason is, because this is sad, they they drown in our swimming pool all the time. they? So my husband, I'm sure, was ready to throttle me when he wasn't home, and one um, was paddling around the pool and couldn't get out, but it was a little baby, so it was really hard for me to thump it in the head, so I let it out. And it's probably out there, the one that was out there chewing up our landscape. But mm-hmm. They know. also chew electrical wires, too. Oh, I've never had that happen. Yes, that's an expensive repair. Oh, gosh. No, ratus rat. yes, the roof, the roof rats yeah. have been, uh, yes, definitely bad. Luckily, we have cats that uh, yep. will bring them in, one cat in particular. So You only need one. Yeah. All right, that'll do it. All yeah. right, we're looking for more callers to name a variety of a caneberry. Name a variety of a blackberry or a raspberry. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. And we certainly mentioned many varieties in the last hour of this very program. So while you're ruminating on that, we'll take a short break and come back to your answers on Get Growing. The numbers to call in, 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right. We're in the midst of the Garden Grappler. Name a variety of caneberry. Pam Bone, Master Gardener, is here to be the official judge and hanging jury for today's competition. First up, it is Donna in Merced. Hi, Donna. Hello. Hello, Donna. So what caneberry comes to your mind right now? Boysenberry. Yay, one of the best. Okay, so a boysen is a kind of berry. Boysen, yeah, because yeah. a, a boysenberry is a blackberry. Okay. And a boysenberry, you, you probably know the history of the boysenberry where it was discovered at Knott's Berry yeah. Farm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was a cross, right. So um, it is definitely um, a named variety. We just run it all together and call it boysenberry, but boysen is its actual name. Yeah. Okay. Do you grow them? Uh, no, I have a friend that does, and I made a, a lot of uh, jam out oh. of them. And they make great pies, too, because the berries are so big and juicy. They're great. That's yeah. how Walter Knott's family got rich, was yes. selling pies. Yes, <laughs> yes. and their jam. I yeah. mixed uh, uh, blueberries along with it, with some of the jam also. Oh, that would be good. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, oh, great so, idea. Donna, good job. I'm going to be sending you a, a great handout uh, from uh, from the UCIPM folks on growing cane berries in the Sacramento region. Well, I guess it's from Wonderful. the UCANR folks, to be exact. Uh, right. Have you ever heard of uh, blueberry grapes? Blueberry grapes. 
Yeah, it's a new variety. Uh, our friend also has a bunch of them, and I've made jelly also with them, and it's fabulous. Is it a blueberry or is it a grape? It's a grape. It's a grape. It's just, uh-huh. No, they're I'm not blueberry. familiar with it myself. Yeah. Okay. I'll bet you that the Master Gardeners at the um, Forex Horticulture Center in the Grape Area probably have heard of it, but I haven't. That's so. a that's a new uh-huh. one. Hey, Donna, good Thank job. You. Thanks for mentioning Thank boysenberry. All right, there okay. are there are a lot more caneberries out there, and the numbers to call in. Looks like Pam's going to go away with the grand prize. 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. All right. Name a variety of caneberry. All right. Uh, while you're ruminating on that one, Shirley from Chico uh, writes in, and she wants to take issue with you, Pam, about your netting. She says, we bought some tree nets this spring mm-hmm. and had one heck of a time getting it up over the tree, and we have the shortest tree. It's only five to six feet tall. Is there a particular brand that is easier to put on? The ones we bought, don't know the name, were very lightweight and flimsy and super hard to put on. Well, I will say they are not easy to put on, and what we do is we get ladders. Even though the trees are not that tall, we stand up so that we're way at at the top, at the height top of the tree looking down and we have at least two to three actually there were three of us this year because my daughter was over and my husband said okay let's go put on the and then he called me in and said oh i need you to help hold one thing it is it's just it's a two-person job at least to do it and you have to be up on top of a ladder or a step stool or something a little bit. You don't have to go way high so that you can be holding this thing. You have to have it folded just right, then unfold it. No, it's, and they are fairly flimsy. They, uh, but they're pretty sturdy too. I don't know what variety ours are, are because they're not in the packages anymore. But like I said, we've reused them several years in a row and yeah. they've held up very beautifully. Could you use a lightweight row cover? Or would that no. be too much heat? No, that's too much, yeah. And I, now I'm really worried with um, putting on uh, uh, shade cloth on my berries. I'd be worried I'd be increasing some sort of a mite population or some other uh, something out there under. No, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. one of the problems of using a lightweight shade cloth, a row cover, if you mm-hmm. will, even though it's lightweight, is it, because it is lightweight, it kind of rips easily. Well, and not only that, too, it does... Um, uh, cut down on light yeah and you want full sun on your fruit trees to really ripen and and have good fruit so that wouldn't work in my bike rides throughout the area i'm always noting clever people and what they're doing in their yard and this one gentleman had a pvc framework around his cherry tree and he kept the cherry tree within the bounds of that pvc framework and sure enough, one day there was netting over the cherry That's tree. That's really smart. Yeah. yeah, that works really well. And, and then, and you know exactly how to prune the tree too, right. because if it goes beyond the PVC pipe, you, you just snip it, it off. in. Yeah. Right. And and yeah, there. I I would try to look and see if she can find anything, um, maybe slightly sturdier. But the stuff is fairly flimsy to work, yeah. but. But it's not so thin that um, it's not do it is doable and like I said we've used it year after year and it's worked just fine. But don't try to do it yourself. 
and have somebody else help you with it and 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 it does get stuck on the limbs a little and you have to kind of lift it up and hence the value of the pvc pipe uh, yes frame. oh yeah that would work really nicely it, it wouldn't get stuck on the uh, any branches as long as the branches were within the bounds right. of that pvc framework so that i think one person could do that yeah so that that would be a definitely for one person. Right. Anybody calling in with some berry varieties? Well, let's find out. Let's go to, out to Dublin and talk with Donna in Dublin. Hi, Donna in Dublin. Hi, Donna in Dublin. Claudia. There you are. Hi. It, no, it's Claudia. Claudia, oh, though. Claudia. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'll answer to anything. Okay. All right. <laughs> so listen, I'm thinking young berry. A young berry. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Just say yes, ma'am. No, it is. Okay. It is definitely a yes. I will definitely say um, it is a yes. Gosh, I haven't heard youngberry mentioned since I lived up in Washington State, um, and maybe that's why because it's not a berry that we grow here, and I don't even hardly remember much about them anymore. So, do you grow them at all? Well, you know, I did. I got them from a friend who lives in Loma Rica, which is in the Maryville area. Yeah, and yeah, I took them from her, and I grew them for a couple of years, and had. Two years of beautiful pies and cobblers, and then boom, gone, done. No more producing, producing except lots of stickers and things all over the house that I did or the yard I didn't need, but no berries. Oh, so. okay. Well, the reason is, is I haven't, I have not dealt with a young berry in a long time, and I didn't even know that we could grow them much here. Um, so I just double checked it to see what it says about it, and it says it's a complex hybrid. Between raspberries, blackberries, and dewberries. And a dewberry oh is something that I don't know much about at all. Um, so I love it. That is so interesting. So, um, and it, huh. So it was fun to do, disappointing to see them disappear. And then they but, just disappeared. And so I wonder why. It would be interesting to see whether or not it just faded out because of. Um, our climate or what? Well, she's yeah. in Dublin, yeah. and I imagine you get a bit more marine influence there, so perhaps you have... Uh, oh, this is really interesting, mornings. too. I read it uh, on a berry uh, website. It says, we don't grow them much in the United States. They're grown in Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Okay. Isn't that oh, interesting? Now, that well, kind of climate you would think would be okay for here, too. I don't know. That's very interesting. But I tell you what, Donna in Dublin, uh, I will be sending you uh, yeah. growing caneberries in the Sacramento region, and I think that would work in Dublin as well. Uh, well, can I add fog to uh, your region? Because we're in the fog belt right here in, in Dublin. We're right on Highway 580. Yeah, ah. yeah, you are. If you're yeah on the west end there. The berries, would probably you probably will grow wonderful raspberries. Okay. Yes, okay. definitely. I give it a go, then. Oh, yeah. I would definitely. No doubt. They, Who knew I had that? Specialty berry. I was so discouraged. I never tried anything else. I thought, well, no. Oh no. I I think you would do okay with. Um, think about where the raspberries really do best. Uh, Washington, where I'm from. I'm from Washington State, and of course that's why when we moved here, we had to have raspberries. You don't grow up. My husband grew up in Oregon. You don't grow up in the Northwest yeah. without having raspberries. And of look course. what the weather's like up there. And I lived literally on Pacific, right there on Puget Sound. So hey, I God. think you do well. Oh, okay. You know the wet weather. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Appreciate it. Good job. All right. Let's go to caller number three. It's Scott in Plymouth. Hi, Scott. Hi. How you doing? Doing fine. What uh, cane berry comes to your mind? Uh, Something they call a rubus spectabilis. I don't know the sign. Rubus Rubus is just the... Spectabilis, did you say? It's it's a salmon berry. Oh, salmon salmon berry. berry. Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. I'm not so sure. It's a rubus, all right. I don't, so I'm not, 
you're kind of skirting uh, on the, the edge of being a caneberry, though, but because um, where, where did I find it? Right here. But, uh, you're, but you're you're close enough. It's like a huckleberry, salmonberry. You go out on hikes, and it's up in the mountains, and definitely. My, my dictionary says it's a uh, spineless, hardy raspberry. Well, yeah, salmonberry is well. We just call. It, I'm not sure which raspberry it is but maybe they're just calling it that salmonberry is a native <laughs> plant that is a native plant growing in um trees yeah. basically up in the forest areas and and then the I, salmon drop out of the trees yeah, and spawn no, in the river i have yeah that's ha 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 right, thank you. i have I picked salmon berries up in washington state so that is i picked tons of them in gill north county yep yep that's in, it yeah that's and that's what they are. Yeah, Rubus spectaculus is the salmonberry. I Rubus though is the scientific name of a raspberry. So maybe that's why they came up with uh, raspberry. But it, we really call it a salmonberry. Scott, we have to run here. Salmonberry, good answer. We'll I'll be sending. I'll send you that list of growing cane berries in the Sacramento region. Thanks All so right. much. Thanks so much. All right. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler is Judith in Sacramento. Judith, go ahead. Give us a caneberry variety. Olalyberry. Oh, ah, very good one. There you go. Do you, I, have, do you yeah. have one more, Judith? Marionberry. Oh, there yes. There you go. You get the grand prize. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. So she, you were. That's your lucky day. Yes. And those are both very good variety. Well, the marionberry is delicious. We don't grow it very much here because it likes Oregon better. Olalyberry, though, is a great variety of a blackberry here in Sacramento. And they can uh, be grown in Sacramento. Oh, then? definitely. I grew them for years and years and years. Yep. Oh, lovely. And Judith, yeah. I'll be it's hot off the press. I'll be sending huh? you the 2018 Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, thanks for playing our little game, Judith. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good job. And before we get out of here, uh, and I, I didn't want to make you the fifth caller. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. I hate to be put on the spot. Okay, all right. I, I figured you may even already have a calendar. Ladies and gentlemen, it was yesterday's keynote speaker at uh, the uh, Harvest Day at oh, the Ferris Horticulture Center. It's Ann Finkner. Oh, he didn't yeah. tell me that. I was wondering why the fourth caller was getting yeah. the uh, grand prize. I figured <laughs> Ann already had a calendar. I do. Aren't they wonderful? It is such a, uh, and it's a great gift. And yes. this year's calendar is really great. I really, I, think so. I looked at it and I, it's bigger and better than ever. <laughs> but you want to talk and about I, netting? I do, and, and in fact, it's a, it's the it's the rare occasion that I um, uh, take issue with you, Pam. But actually, I have a one person solution to the netting. Hey, good. Is, yeah. So what I've done is, um, well, my my peach tree is still, a, you know, fairly small, so I can I can reach all branches with a. Uh, eight-foot ladder, mm-hmm. so I've cut two PVC pipes, approximately six to eight feet, and there's these clips, these PVC clips you can get online. The big box store doesn't carry them. Yeah. You can, you can, you can buy them online, and I, I put the netting out on the ground, and I clip just two sides, and then I drape it over the tree. It is so easy. I stand on the ladder and drape one side and then the other. So to remove it, I simply pick up the pole and pull it up and over one person solution oh that's and great. yeah these clips are about um i think they come in a package of maybe 10 for maybe eight dollars online and what are you clipping it to the pvc, PVC pipe. PVC. Okay. she's using yeah. it 
so that she can then kind of walk over then with your two PVC pipes and her big old net attached, right? That's right. That's, yeah. In fact, I sent you. A, I, I made a little video this morning and sent it to you. Oh, okay, now. good. Thank I was going to ask yes. you if you've got a picture of it. That would be great. Um, does the is your net uh, large enough then that it goes clear to the ground? Um, or your tree short enough? Yeah, because that's the only no, problem with ours. The right. nets are rather enormous. <laughs> right. Right. And then from that point, the dogs guard it. <laughs> well, with your permission, Anne, I will steal your video and post it at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Well, why don't you review it first? I, I actually, I, I addressed okay. it to you and Pam. So. Oh, okay. If, well, you it, if you think it's fine, go okay. ahead. Okay. Yeah, thank no, you. that'll be good. That's good to know because people do get very frustrated with it, and I know the netting works, and it's great. It's just that we definitely have trouble trying to do it ourselves. The and, 21st oh, century digital yeah. queen, Ann Fengner. Yeah. Last year, I, I came near to... It was pretty much a net tantrum out in my backyard. Yeah, it was like a bad. It was like a bad cartoon. Believe me, I, I you heard one of the callers. I think she was about yes. ready to do the same thing. So that that's yeah. a really good point. Thanks. And, and we have to run here. Thanks for that contribution. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for your time. Great show today. All right, thank thanks. you. Bye All now. right, and Pam Bowen, Master Gardener. Thanks for spending part of your Sunday here. Oh, it was great. Considering I, I kind of corralled you at the last minute yesterday and said you oh, want to be on the show. I, yeah, Harvest Day. Hey, I love it. It was great. I got to talk. About some things and got to find out about uh, some other quote berries I'd never even heard of. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Center for Land-Based Learning. Hmm. They're local. We'll find out about them when we come back to get growing on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Where is the next generation of farmers coming from? One of those places may be the Winters-based Center for Land-Based Learning. Their mission is to inspire and motivate people of all ages, especially youth, to promote a healthy interplay between agriculture, nature, and society through their own actions and as leaders in their own communities. And we're talking with the executive director of the Center for Land-Based Learning, Mary Kimball. And Mary, tell us a little bit about the history of the organization. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Fred. Um, we are very proud to be about 23 years in now as, a, as an organization and programs specifically for high school youth, and we now reach 28 counties in California, focusing on giving them experience out on farms and, and uh, ranches, wildlife areas, going to colleges and universities to learn about the wide and amazing array of opportunities in agriculture and natural resources. And we started back in 1993 because of a farmer. Uh, that farmer, Craig McNamara, who is the founder of our organization, as a walnut farmer, realized that he had this great opportunity to bring students out to his farm and teach them about the basics of where their food comes from, but also about the opportunities from a career perspective in agriculture and that we need bright young people going into agriculture from all different places uh, in our communities, not just from folks who are already in agriculture. We need more and more people going into these um, opportunities. So that's how it all started. So how do you get the word out? I, I could see a lot of rural high schools knowing about the Center for Land-Based Learning, but what about urban areas? Yeah, it's actually quite surprising. Uh, most of the schools that we work with across the state, and again, 28 um, 
28 counties now. Most of the schools that we work with are urban high schools. And that probably surprises people. Um, but, you know, we, we work with um, lots of different agriculture departments. Even in, in urban areas, there's plenty of, of ag departments, vocational ag and FFA. And especially in urban areas, these programs are really looking for opportunities, right, to get out of the city, <laughs> to get out of the classroom. They may or may not have a school farm. Oftentimes they don't. And so they need these opportunities to get out into the real world of agriculture and to see the the, the day-to-day farming activities, what farmers and ranchers, what kinds of decisions they have to make on a daily basis. And, and honestly... Um, you know, the opportunities to do that are few and far between. So urban schools, quite honestly, are in often, oftentimes more interested in our programs because they do not have the connections that maybe the rural schools do. And it's not just a one-day visit to a farm. You have a rather intensive class, a seven-month intensive overview course about beginning in farming. Yeah, well, we have um, two kind of two different aspects of our programs. We have our youth programs that I've been speaking of, the high school age, and that you're right, that goes actually the, for the entire school year. And then in, in order to train the next generation of farmers, so the, the youth ones are really about, the youth programs really about what are the oppor- all of the opportunities in agriculture. Our adult program, the California Farm Academy training program, is, is for people who have actually made a decision that they want to go into farming but haven't maybe yet had enough experience to start their own farm or to be a farm manager yet. So that's the seven-month training that is in uh, headquartered in Winters at our main uh, office and, and farm, and that is for adults. We, we range in ages from kind of mid-20s all the way to mid-50s with the average age in that program being in the mid-30s. And these are folks from, again, all different parts of, of our communities. And sometimes, and in fact, more and more so, they are people that um, left the farm after high school. They went to college and they didn't come back. And we know that happens a lot, right? And so, again, where is that next generation coming from? And so they have now decided, because they see the opportunities at the farm today, and in value added and in other kinds of agricultural opportunities and they've come back and they're doing different kinds of farming enterprises, they're working with their families um, and they're kind of that next generation of agriculture and so many of them because they didn't have a lot of experience are taking our seven month training program to really immerse themselves in and they have to do a business plan so that seven months includes a very intensive focus on business planning, and we know how important that is in agriculture. So I imagine that after a seven-month course, then they should probably get some real-life experience uh, on an actual working farm, and I guess that would be your apprenticeship program. That's correct, Fred. We, we're super excited to, to launch in 2017 um, the first accredited apprenticeship program for farming in California. Apprenticeships have been around for a long time and, and in many other, um, you know, many other industries. You think of the electrical industry or the pipe fitting elect- uh, uh, industry or construction and, and those industries have done an incredible job of, of their, with their apprenticeships. Uh, farming has always been, the apprenticeships been, you know, the, the kids, right? The next generation and, and back to our earlier points. 
we we have a we have a challenge in agriculture across the country. We are not um, filling in the numbers that are needed for the future of agriculture in this country. And, and if California is the number one agriculture state, this is this is critical to our success and to our future viability. So. We've created the apprenticeship program, which is accredited through the Division of Apprenticeship Standards here in California. It's the first one that um, we're, we're, we're planning on the accreditation coming through in the early part of 2017. And it'll be the, only the second across the country. So we're partnering with Los Rios Community College. Uh, and we are providing 3,000 hours of on-the-job training over the course of two to three years. And we, we are connecting these folks that have gone through our seven-month training with real farmers <laughs> in Yolo County right now. And we hope to expand that in future years so that they are literally working hand-in-hand, um, -hand, so to speak, with, with their mentor farmers and learning everything they possibly can over that 3,000 hours. So the Center for Land-Based Learning offers those beginning farmers some training. They offer them an apprenticeship program, but then they probably say, well, wait a minute, I, I need a, a, some help in getting established with my own agricultural business. And for that, you have an incubator program. Yes. Yeah, so our incubator program is something we started about five years ago. We realized early on in looking across the nation at other beginning farmer training programs that the most successful ones were ones that coupled the training with the, with the incubator, with the business incubator. And so that is because beginning farmers, they're, of course, their largest, biggest challenges are access to land and access to capital. And so we thought we would do our very best to help out those that have challenges with access to land. So we lease land. We have six different farms in Yolo County, in Winters, in Davis, and in West Sacramento. And all of those farms, uh, we then sublease, right, through a license agreement back to the beginning farmers for them to start their own farming enterprises. So we, we set it up for them, really. It's kind of like a, a turnkey farm, so to speak. We get the irrigation infrastructure all set up. We have storage areas and wash stations and, and um all kinds, all of the equipment, the the tools that they would need. So that also helps them with the access to credit because they don't need as much starting capital as if they would if they were starting out a farm completely by themselves. And we also provide long-term technical support and mentorship for those new farmers, really so that they can get off and running much quicker again with a lot less being in the red uh, so that they can then go off on their own. And we're, we're thrilled that the majority of our incubator farmers, after several, two years, are able to either buy their own property, and we've had <clears throat> out of the almost 100 graduates uh, of the California Farm Academy in the last five years, uh, almost 30% of them have bought their own property and are starting their own farms on their own property after incubation and or they scale up and they're able to lease land from, from large for larger plots and be able to start farming at a larger level. And that, we believe, is because of that help in the, in the incubator program. How does the Center for Land-Based Learning pay for all this? Well, that's, that's a great question. And as any nonprofit, we obviously rely um, on a lot of different ways to fund our programs and fund our organization. 
Uh, but really, the the most important is is individual donors, the, those who believe uh, in what we're doing and want to see uh, that these young, you know, whether it's the young people in our in our high school programs or it's beginning farmers succeed and build our communities so that we all uh, are more stable in the future from an agricultural and food perspective. We receive funding from individuals, from companies, uh, lots of ag companies support us across the state and farms across the state because they are in dire need of these young people uh, to go into their companies in the future. So yes, it's really uh, the individual donor that is the most important. Everything from ten dollars to thousands of dollars where we obviously uh it's important to have every single person involved that can be if people want more information about the center for land-based learning or want to make a donation how can they do that the best place to go is our website and that is landbasedlearning.org and right on that homepage, you'll see a, a lovely donation button uh, and, and it's very easy online platform that even allows people to do, you know, monthly donations if that's something that they're interested in. One-time donations, it really is uh, all there for you to be able to, to choose something that works for you. So landbaselearning.org, and you can also, while you're there, learn more about all of our other programs that we run across the state. Mary Kimball, Executive Director for the Center for Land-Based Learning. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning, Fed. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at some upcoming events uh, happening in our area. Hey, the Farmer Fred Road Show hits the road twice this week. Talking health tomorrow from uh, 11 till noon at Lodi Health West at 800 Lower Sacramento Road at uh, West Vine Street. That's the uh, Lodi Health West facility. And I'll be talking to people about heart-healthy tips for battling type 2 diabetes and high cholesterol levels, how to reduce those just by diet and exercise, not trying to sell anything. There's no pills, no extra. Well, I won't say there's no exercises, but there's no no gimmicks. There's no machines I'm selling here. It's it's free. I just want to talk to you uh, there in Lodi about if I can reduce my blood sugar numbers and my cholesterol numbers down to the point where I don't need any more prescription medication, maybe you could do it too, simply by eating right and exercising. And I'll talk about some of the tips I use and uh, some of the books I've read that have been very helpful in uh, achieving that goal and staying there. And, of course, it helps that I do bike 100 miles a week too and you don't even have to do that uh it's amazing what you can accomplish just by going out and walking i lost 40 pounds alone just walking because after the heart surgery back in 2012 they wouldn't let me ride a bike because in when they're doing bypass surgery they take a chainsaw to your chest and open it up and split your ribs open and take your heart and juggle it for a while and then they uh, grab some barbed wire or some baling wire and you know seal it all back up and they don't let you uh, do anything stressful uh, for three months afterwards can't lift anything heavier than a gallon of milk and no bike riding so that left me walking and i walked and i walked and i walked and i lost 40 pounds just walking so you could do it too and eating right and choosing the right foods and that's what i'm going to be talking about tomorrow at 11 a.m 
there at Lodi Health West, 800 Lower Sacramento Road at uh, West Vine Street there in Lodi at the Lodi Health West facility. And uh, again, it's free. Then on Thursday, I will be at Trilogy in Rio Vista. It's an active adult community. I'll be at their clubhouse talking to the garden club there about the heart-healthy garden. Yeah, you see a theme here? All right, well, it's about growing the crops that are best for reducing cholesterol and reducing blood sugar levels. And that's foods that are high in soluble fiber. Insoluble fiber is a little different than insoluble fiber. It's all packaged together. But choosing foods that are high in soluble fiber is very helpful. So I'm going to be talking about those plants that you can grow in your yard, those vegetables, those fruits that are highest insoluble fiber that can help you in combination with eating right and exercise uh, improve the health of your heart and also lower those blood sugar numbers so again that'll be at trilogy in rio vista for all my friends down in windy rio vista at 222 somerset drive and that talk will be from 1 to 3 p.m and again it's free i'm not selling anything honest to goodness I just want to share you, uh, the only thing I'd be selling you would be confidence in yourself that you can do it too, and you can. All right, so maybe uh, I might see you Monday in Lodi or Thursday in Rio Vista. Thanks for listening to the program. Now in its 25th year, get growing on KSTE. Who would have thunk it would last this long? Anniversary show coming up the first Sunday in November. Can we make it? I think so. We'll see. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Bye-bye.